All right, we have a great episode of Side Retired, the MLB podcast coming at you guys today. A really special guest, Bianca Smith, will be joining us for today's episode. So Maddie, let's hit the intro music and we'll get right into this. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan Campione, as always. And today we're joined by our clubs, our Cubs Club Ambassador, Maddie Norton, is hopping on today's Zoom call with us today for today's episode, because Maddie, you have a special guest for us to introduce today. Yes, so today we are going to have Bianca Smith, who was a coach for the Boston Red Sox organization. Um, Bianca Smith is known as a trailblazer currently um, in the women in sports and especially women in baseball. We are very excited to have Ms. Smith on here today. Um, it is sure to be a very exciting interview learning about her path uh, going into coaching in baseball and now beyond. Absolutely. So Ms. Smith, how are you doing today? I am great. Thanks for having me on. I will say one thing. Please don't call me Miss Smith. That's <laughs> <laughs> so weird. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So I think the first big question that we have for sort of all our guests whenever we have them on is, I know most people have probably heard of you, especially for your amazing story, but just in case they haven't, who are you and what do you do in the baseball world? <laughs> um, well, one, I'm a baseball nut, which is what everybody tells me. Um so yeah, the last two seasons, I was a minor league coach for the Boston Red Sox. I also spent the fall in the Arizona Fall League with the Scottsdale Scorpions. I actually just left the Red Sox a couple of months ago to try to find a different opportunity. So I'm currently lining up several different um, opportunities this season. I'm actually not with a professional team this year, but it's actually kind of working out pretty well. Um, nothing's been completely finalized yet, which is why I'm not really saying anything too much, but I'd say for anybody who's interested, just be on the lookout. I've got a couple of uh, camps and clinics that'll probably be going on around the country. So not just where I live. And then um, a couple of other pretty cool coaching opportunities throughout the season. Awesome. That sounds so cool. Um, I think that kind of leading into that, we really want to know, like, what was your journey of not only getting into baseball? You said that you were like a baseball nut. Um, so how did you kind of sort of get into baseball in the first place, you know, what was the kind of sort of spark that started this journey? And then also, um, you know, what was it that drove you to want to be a coach? And then also following coaching, what kind of drove you to want to go into maybe a different route um, or kind of, you know, continue down the same path or a different path? You know, what was that journey like in terms of, you know, finding that passion, finding that spark? Yeah, I will try to keep it pretty quick. <laughs> um, so what got me started in baseball in the first place was actually my mom. She was a diehard Yankees fan. So God rest her soul that I joined the Red Sox. <laughs> it's kind of hard for my family to uh, pill for my family to swallow. But she introduced me to the game when I was really young. I think the first memory I have of actually watching a game was when I was two or three. So grew up watching the game, grew up just kind of loving it. And although my mom was a fan, um, when I say I'm a baseball nut, like she was a fan, she was one of those fans that, yes, she would watch games occasionally on TV, might go to games. She was more a fan of like the game itself rather than watching it because she played softball. I was that person that, like, during the World Baseball Classic, I'm up at two or three o'clock in the morning <laughs> to watch the Asian teams play. During the offseason, I'm up at, you know, five watching the Australian Baseball League. 
Like I took it to the next level where I was just, that's all I, that was my favorite sport just growing up. Um, but I actually didn't consider working in the sport until I got to college. I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian for 12 years, took one biology class in college and went, this is not going to work. <laughs> um, which is funny because science and math were actually my favorite subjects in high school. I just hated waking up so early for my science classes in college. So I'm like, I need to do something else. Um, and then I started working for a local YMCA back home. I was doing, I was keeping time for a youth basketball tournament and I'm not even a basketball fan, but I just remember sitting there looking around going, I love this atmosphere. And like, I grew up playing sports. I played soccer. I was a dancer, ended up playing softball. Um, did karate. I mean, like I was all over the place, but it never occurred to me to actually work in sports until that moment. And I, I was thinking about it and realized, you know, in professional sports, somebody has to be working behind the scenes. So this is something I could do. And um, initially I wanted to be in the front office because I didn't see a woman coaching baseball. Like there's no other option really for me for a sport. It was going to be baseball. I used to tell people my backup sport was football, but even that was kind of a joke. Like I was going to make baseball work. So, um, you know, after kind of looking around, figuring out what was the best fit for me, like, what do I actually want to do in baseball? I knew I wanted to have some kind of impact on the field and in the game, which should have been my first sign that I wanted to be a coach. But again, didn't see a woman coaching. So I did. There were um, there were a handful of female assistant general managers at the time. So to me, that was like, all right, I could do that. Um focused on being in the front office for a while. I was the director of baseball operations and graduate assistant coach in grad school, still with the focus of the front office, finally got that first internship. And same thing happened. Like with my major, I went, I don't like this. Like, I don't like being in the office. I miss being on the field. I miss being in baseball pants. Um, so after trying for a season and a half, uh, finally decided I was going to coach full time. Had no idea how I was going to do it. I had a little bit of coaching experience, but most of my baseball knowledge was not like on-field experience. So I knew it was something I needed to build up, but it was, yeah, 2018, I decided, all right, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to try to coach full-time. We still didn't have a female coach, but just never really occurred to me that I couldn't do it. It was just, I want to do this. So that's what got me into coaching was just missed being around the players, miss being in the dugout, miss being on the field, actually interacting with them. And I loved being able to help the players, not just on the field, but off the field. Like being Absolutely. able to work with guys. Yeah, I mean, just getting to see how many of the players I've worked with, what they've done after baseball is just as exciting. Like I love bragging about the players I've worked with. Anyway, I've got some who, you know, they work for the government, they work for NASA, like they're doctors, they're lawyers. Like I tell people all the time these guys are smarter than me <laughs> and i went to dartmouth like these guys make me feel stupid sometimes and i love it and i love the fact that i had some kind of you know impact in that um whether it was you know i had a couple of kids who, like they wanted to go to law school and since i went i got all of my classmates to give me their lsat books so that they can study i looked over you know, personal statements, I've done letters of recommendation, and those are the things that I'm probably more proud of than the stuff I've done on the field. So as far as like beyond like what's happening now, I definitely still want to coach. Um, but one thing that hasn't changed, and even I remember I found this, um, I wrote this down, I think when I was nine or 10 years old, when I was a kid, somewhere I wrote that I wanted to be a baseball ambassador. 
I didn't even remember writing that. And I found that maybe a year or two ago. And so I knew like that was one thing I also wanted to do when I decided I wanted to coach. I didn't care what level it was going to be at. I knew it was either going to be college or professional. But the other thing I wanted to be able to do was help grow the game. And that's something that I'm working on this year, knowing that I'm not going to be with the team, but knowing that I have the ability and the connection and people like now I know people who actually want to help out. I once considered, you know, having a facility like a lot of coaches do uh, just to be able to help grow the game, work with kids. But then I realized that I would reach a lot more people if I could be the one to travel rather than focus on the kids who are just local. So that's kind of what I'm going for right now is being able to help grow the game around the country and even internationally. Um, there's a potential international opportunity for me this uh, this season. So just getting, like I said, getting to be a baseball ambassador and continue to help the next generation learn the game, love the game. And I still get to coach at the same time. I think it's great to hear because a lot of people view baseball players almost as non-human and that whenever you see, for example, like when Wilmer Flores was crying on the field that one time, it's like, he's not supposed to be doing that, but it's really cool to hear these stories of, no, there's more to a baseball player than just the guy that hits 280 and hits 10 home runs. It's like he had a problem at home the night before he had something like that. So there's always off the field as well as on the field. And it's great to hear as a coach that you make sure to balance and make sure that a player's life is great, both in between the lines of the diamond and also off the field. So I think one thing, though, that we did want to touch upon that you sort of hinted at early in your answer is that your role models and your mom obviously was a huge aspect of that growing up. But then you did mention that like, there were no women coaches for you to sort of look up to and say, that's who I want to aspire to be like. So were there some people that kind of either been people that you knew or just people that you saw on TV or something like that, that you could have been like, that's who I want to aspire to be like? Yes and no. Um so I credit my parents for this. They encouraged us to have people to look up to, just like you know most kids do, especially with you know your sports heroes, whether it's politicians, celebrities, doesn't matter. But they always made sure we didn't idolize anybody. Mm -hmm. It was they made sure that we knew like they're human. They're going to make mm -hmm. mistakes. Um, we should never really want to completely imitate somebody. It sh it should always be yes. There are people who. I admired the way that they held themselves. It's like growing up, Derek Jeter was my favorite player, not just because of what he did on the field, but because of the way he held himself off the field, things like that. Like that's what I looked for. And then, um, but as far as like being a coach that it was never really people like celebrities or people on TV that I saw. It was always the people I interacted with. Mm. Like my coaches were the ones that I learned from. I learned what kind of coach I wanted to be based on what I saw from my own coaches and how they treated me and kind of picked the parts that I wanted to emulate and the parts that I didn't. And then not just with coaches, I mean, even just my parents, like they're my biggest role models. They're the reason why I can do what I do. They're the reason why I can, you know, spend this year basically just traveling and coaching because my dad is letting me live at home. Um, but they also encouraged me to even just pursue this. And like you said, and like I said, there weren't any women coaches at the time I decided I wanted to coach. The reason why I thought I could do it was because I grew up with a mom who's a lawyer and a stepmom who's a surgeon and a dad and a stepdad who my entire life basically told us you could do whatever you want to do. Doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your gender, like doesn't matter your background. If you want to do it, go do it. 
and we will find a way to make it work. We will help you financially, physically, whatever you need, just whatever you have a passion for, fi figure out how to make a living out of it. So I'd say like they were my biggest role models because that's kind of how I treat my players. Like they're my kids. It's the same thing. Like you're basically parents to them. And that's how I feel like I could be the best coach for them. It's I just encourage them in whatever they want to do. I never want to be that coach that tells them that they can't do something. I never want to be that coach that makes them give up the game. I want to be that coach who I've done everything possible to help them achieve their dream, whatever it is, whether it's on the field or off the field. Yeah, that sounds so amazing and so inspirational. I mean, I think that, you know, so many players and so many coaches credit their, you know, parents, but you, again, being such a trailblazer in the field of, you know, women in sports and in baseball, especially, it seems like your parents really, really helped, you know, push you and gave you the confidence that you needed to, you know, be where you are today. And because of that, you've really passed that confidence down into the players that you're able to help coach and develop, which again, you know, I think is just such an amazing uh, story to hear. Um, so kind of going on that same sort of topic of, you know, um, getting into coaching in the first, uh, you know, in the first place, was there any specific, you know, job or role or just like something that happened in your life that you really feel like helped your coaching career, right? Like one specific thing that you did, one specific, you know, period in your life that you think really, really benefited you as a coach? Um, or do you think that it was kind of just a culmination of all of these different aspects of your life coming together? It was definitely a culmination because one of those things about being a coach is if you're coaching the same way you did five years ago, you're doing something wrong. So I can't really pinpoint, like I can tell you probably the time where I knew I, I like I wanted to coach and kind of started to started to shape who I am as a coach. But every single thing I've went through has also shaped the way I am. Like every coach that I've interacted with, all the head coaches, assistant coaches, um, youth coaches, there's always been something that I've been able to pull from them about like whether how I want to be a coach or how I don't want to do things. And then there's so many things like I coach this past season, I coached differently than I did the year before. So I could easily say that first year with the Red Sox has changed the way I coached. But, you know, my time as the director of baseball operations with Case Western was huge for me because it was the first time I was actually on the field coaching with kids or you know, coaching with um you know players and then my time at carroll university was also very different because it's the first time i was a hitting coach like i they made me a hitting coordinator and i had no hitting background whatsoever so i had to learn how not only how to coach hitters but my philosophy my coaching style and my coaching philosophy changed there too so in what, five years i think my coaching style sort of has evolved um, multiple times. So it's definitely every experience I've had has definitely changed the way that I've, I am as a coach. The goal is always the same, but how I get there has, you know, kind of changed depending on the player, depending on the experience, depending on the environment that I'm in. 100%. I think that last part, especially too, of knowing that, especially as a coach, you'll probably echo this, but no two players are the same. And it's sort of that if you could have two hitters who have the same problem of they can't hit the ball to right field, it could be completely different solutions or way that you have to sort of help them address their problem, which is definitely one of the cool things that I think about with coaching in that um, there's no cookie cutter way of saying this is how you develop a hitter. This is how you develop a pitcher and sort of this specific guy, this specific one and really cool experience probably for you to experience with uh, the Boston Red Sox as well as throughout the rest of your journey. 
I think another question, though, that sort of based off of that is we haven't actually had a coach on before on our podcast. This is our sort of first time. So sort of thinking in that direction, (laughs) sort of thinking there of like, what is the day in the life of a coach? I don't know if it's with your Boston Red Sox time or before then, but sort of what what do you do during the day? Like, obviously, everyone knows there's a game probably around seven o'clock, but what happens in the hours before then and gearing up for the game and practices? Oh, God. Uh, one, it depends on what level you're at. So my day is actually, or at least when I was with the Red Sox, it was very different from the rest of the organization because mm-hmm. rookie ball in Florida plays at noon. So mm-hmm. we don't have like all morning to prepare for the game. Mm-hmm. And we we have full on practices. It isn't, you know, show up, do some early work, have VP, that's it. So um, I guess like our normal day, if you had a normal day, um, coaches would show up 5.30, 6 o'clock to work out. That only lasted so long for me because I'm not a morning person. So I was kind of showing up <laughs> the last minute that I could and I would work out after the game. But we would have our meeting at 7. So I was usually there 6.15, 6.30, eat breakfast, have our coaches meeting. Oh, wait, no, our meeting was at 7.50. Or 745. Look, I can't even remember our schedule. You can do it. Um, but yeah, so we would show up, we'd have our coaches meeting. Uh players would show up, they'd have breakfast as well, and then they would go lift. And I always found this funny. I actually po- I actually tweeted about this a while ago, but our hitters were supposed to start hitting at 8:30. And we have our schedule where you know guys know what time they're supposed to come in and hit. You can ask any coach who was there at least five guys were there at eight o'clock ready to hit for the eight thirty group. <laughs> we would have some guys who were eight fifty group who would show up at eight ten and we're just like, all right, just ignore the schedule. <laughs> just show up as long as you show up. So I we were supposed to hit from eight thirty to nine thirty. We're actually hitting from like eight o'clock to nine forty five. <laughs> so now we're we're hitting in the cages. This is like our individual work where we're actually working with guys. They've got their routine. And that's kind of one of the fun parts as a coach for me was the challenge is learning every player's routine. And the players would probably will usually get assigned a cage. They're assigned with a coach. So I would have probably six to eight guys um, who I saw every morning. But then depending on their issue or who they just wanted to see that day, they might switch coaches. So while I might have six to eight guys um, routines memorized, I still have to know all the others just in case they come to our cage. So after that, we've got, um, you know, stretch, throw, uh, team defense, individual defense. So I ran the outfield once a week, at least, you know, we had base for us, we had base running and I ran base running. Then we have BP, then we have lunch, then we go play the game at noon. After the game, guys shower, they leave. Um, I usually helped our manager with our game report. Uh, schedule for the next day, potentially work starting starting to work on lineup for the next day. And then sometimes we would just sit around and just watch a Red Sox game if they're playing, um, if it's late enough. And then usually uh, I either do it, I would either do it in the office or back at the hotel or back home, wherever I'm staying that year, um, watch video from the previous game. And then uh, I usually have like a week's worth of drills ready for outfield and base running that week. But depending on what I see in the game, I might change our practice plan for the next day. Um, so, I, yeah, then I would end up watching, you know, like pre-pitch routes, um, any caught stealings or stolen bases for base runners. So just kind of rewatch the game almost. And during the game, like I'm 
coaching first when we're hitting, but I'm also doing defensive positioning and spray charts and pitcher tendencies when we're on, we're on defense. So I've got that as well. Um, and keeping track of our lineup and our pitchers trying to think if there's anything else, but that was our general day for like a home game away is obviously different just because depending on how far away we are. And then college is completely different as well, just depending on what level you're at, but at least with the Red Sox, that was your typical long day. (laughs) The long day. (laughs) It's a fun day though. Um, and with the affiliates, I got I did get to spend some time with um, one of our affiliate teams uh, for a while. So it's pretty similar. It's just later in the day. Same thing. Guys would show up a little bit later. They'd you know get either breakfast or an early lunch. And rather than you know watching the game after, a lot of coaches are going through all of the video and stuff the day before. So I mean the um, like right before. So when I was with the fall league, I had a chance to do that. Anytime we had night games, I was going over pitcher videos for the opponents that we're going to see and um, doing spray charts, doing tendencies and doing advanced scouting before the game. And then if we had the video, I might watch the game or watch like little pits of the game after, depending on how much time I had. So a lot of video advanced scouting and then just practice planning. Yeah, I think that sounds like, I mean, obviously a very busy day. Um, Dylan can tell you all about coaching and being in college baseball. I've never been affiliated like with a baseball organization in terms of like coaching or working with, but I can just imagine how, um, you know, tiring, but also how rewarding those days are. Um, But kind of going off of that, obviously, you know, you being a woman coach, um, you were coaching players who were presumably all guys. Um, what were those interactions like, you know, what was it like, you know, transitioning into that sort of clubhouse? Um, you know, what were some of like, you know, the interactions that you were having with players? I can imagine that it was a very different, you know, environment for everyone involved, but I also think that, you know, it's a way to grow and it's a way to learn and it's a way to, you know, be a part of like a really, really cool experience, um, for everyone involved. So what was that like that sort of transition into, you know, those clubhouses that were for so long, you know, dominated by male coaches? But we'll say this for the players. I have not had a single player who I've had a problem with. Uh, Or if they did have a problem with me, they certainly didn't let it show. (laughs) Or I was just that oblivious and I just really (laughs) wanted a coach. (laughs) But um, really, yeah, I I had no problem with the players. I will say as a woman coach, I do approach it a little bit differently. I try to make sure that the players adjust to me on their own time rather than me just jumping in because it is very different and I want to make sure that they're comfortable with me. So there's always going to be some players who they immediately come up to me, they introduce themselves, they start talking. And um, those are the ones who I know I can lean on if there is a problem with other players. And they're usually the ones that, you know, those are the leaders of the group. They're kind of filling me out. And then they go talk to their teammates. And then it starts to spread like what kind of coach I am. And then the players, so like with the Red Sox, you know, the outfielders, I'm with every day. So I get to know the outfielders really quickly. And then the guys who are in my cage every um, every morning, I get to know as well. And for me, it's a lot of times, it's really just asking about them. Like asking about their family, asking about their background. Like I had one player who I think I spent a month and a half with them in my cage. We didn't talk baseball at all. And finally, he stepped back and... Just ask, all right, what do you see? And I was like, all right, finally, okay, let's <laughs> actually get to work. But I spent a month and a half just getting to know him. And 
for a lot of male coaches, they don't necessarily have to do that because there's always this just already this innate trust that, okay, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. He's got my best interest at heart. For me, there's some players who they're just going to trust that they know what I'm talking about because I'm there and others who they kind of want to just see first if they can trust me. And there's there's going to be players who do the same thing with male coaches where they just don't trust them and you kind of have to approach it the same way. But um, really, I mean, yeah, like I said, there's really hasn't been a problem as far as just the general clubhouse. As long as you're respectful, knock on the door, make sure you know that they're, you're coming in. Um, same thing for me. Like I keep my unless I'm fully changing, I keep my locker room door open because I want to make sure guys know that, that if they need anything. They can come find me. Um, otherwise, I get treated like any other coach. I mean, the the players. Yeah, there's there's always like some things and I think it's more it's less of being a woman coach and more just a woman in general. There are some players who you get your typical open the door first, like they'll rush to go open the door. And um, I actually did not grow up with that. So I've had to get used to that. I grew up with the whoever gets to the door first <laughs> opens the door. <laughs> like, why are we going to wait for a guy to show up just to open the door? And I've actually had that conversation with some players who some will tell me they're from the South and they're like, no, no, no. If my mom ever finds out I did this, she's going to get mad at me. So I'm like, all right, I'll let it go. Um, or the, like, like I said earlier, like, please don't call me Miss Smith. I don't get Miss Smith, but I get ma'am a lot. Mm. And it's usually the Southern players. And I've had to adjust to that because I understand like, that's just how they grew up. But those are like, those are the little things that people don't think about. That's not really a big deal. It's just more of a culture difference than me just being treated differently because I'm a woman coach. And I think the biggest thing is uh, language around me, which is hilarious because I actually probably have the worst language of most of the <laughs> staff. Um, so like players will curse around me and then they freak out the first time. And then they start hearing me once I get comfortable and they're like, oh yeah, no, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's no big deal. Um so uh, no, once you get past like those little those little things, uh, guys get comfortable, coach other coaches get comfortable, and they realize oh she's just like anybody else, and then we can just get to work. Otherwise, they some of them will treat me either like a mom, or I've had some of them say I'm like their older sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like like I said with any other coaches, like they're your kids. No, that's great to hear because I know, especially in tying back to that point earlier of making sure that you're friends with them on and off the field, sort of hearing that that clubhouse camaraderie is definitely a great thing and building is definitely an encouraging sign to hear. I know we did also mention that you are our first coach that we've had on the podcast. Of course, you do have a more important first sort of title that you're the first ever African-American female coach in baseball. So when you sort of hear that phrase, and maybe now at this point, you've heard that so many times that it's just sort of another title for you. But I know when Maddie and I were listening and trying to figure out our next guest, and we heard, oh my goodness, it's technically the last week of Black History Month. And it's also technically the first week of Women's History Month. And we're like, oh my God, we're having literally the bridge of those two subjects of having (laughs) the first ever African-American female coach. What is that like for you, knowing that you're sort of, as Maddie's mentioned before, the trailblazer of sort of you're the inspiration for the next generation when you're saying you didn't have that when you were growing up. People now have that because of you. Well, I can't say my February and Marches are usually get very busy just because <laughs> of that. <laughs> it's always somebody will contact me about one or the other. Um, you know, like when I first got started, I didn't really consider it 
uh, I just wanted to coach. Now I've definitely embraced it a lot more because of the number of you know women, uh, number of players who've reached out and thought it was really cool and how inspirational it is. And not just in sports, um, really in any avenue, because there are so many male-dominated industries that women just don't consider getting into. So it's pretty cool being able to show girls that they can not only coach baseball, they can really do whatever whatever job that they want to do. If it's something that they're interested in, it doesn't matter if somebody doesn't look like them. And I mean, there's the saying, you know, a year or two ago, MLB was kind of tweeting out about, like, now that you can see it, you can be it. And I actually responded, like, I hate that. Because <laughs> that implies that until you see it, you can't be it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't see it, then go be the first. Because somebody has to do it. And that's when it really kind of hit me just how important it is because yeah, that is kind of the mentality right now is, Oh, well, I don't see anybody else who looks like me doing it. I guess I can't do it. Well, somebody has got to be the first. And if we always have the mentality, then it's never going to happen. So now, like I said, now I've kind of embraced it and I think it's pretty cool just getting to see how many you know people have been inspired by it at the same time. Now I'm trying to break away from it. Because I'd like to do something more than just be the first black woman who's coached professional baseball. Like if I end my career with that's all people remember me as, I did something wrong. Like I want to be a great coach for my players. I don't want to be known as just, oh, she was the first black woman to do it. I want to be known as, oh, she was a great coach. Absolutely. I think that's why you're also mentioning you have a great future coming up this year. I know you don't want to reveal all the secrets yet, but I know you're definitely, we're going to be sure to keep tabs on that and making sure and we are sure that there's going to be some great things ahead in the future for you. I know we do have three rapid fire tangential baseball questions, sort of on the funner side of things to sort of wrap things up if you're ready for them. All right. All right. So you did mention that you were in a clubhouse for a couple of years. So our first question is, is there a favorite interaction, a favorite player that you'd had to deal with over the last couple of seasons, sort of anyone that I don't know if we're putting them on blast or if we're going to congratulate them or compliment them, but However, you want to take this question in whatever direction. Can I only can I, can I give two answers? Because there's yes. two, <laughs> and both of them were with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, that was my first time truly being in a clubhouse, and I was actually a baseball ops intern. The first one was Joey Votto. Um, I was working at a computer, and he came up to me in the video room and asked if I worked for MLB or for the Reds, and because he had seen me on the field, and I said I'm with the Reds. He goes, "All right, from now on, when you see me, say hi." And I was just like, okay, Joey Vaughn <laughs> told me to say hi. I'm going to make sure to say it. So every time I saw him, like he could be across the field. I'm like, Joey. <laughs> um, so that was one. And then the second one, this was probably just more funny than anything. Um, anybody who's watched Eric Dietrich knows what a character he is. And my second to last day with the Reds, Fox Sports did a feature on me. And they told me it was going to be during, they were going to show it during pregame. So I knew it was coming. I don't like watching myself. <laughs> I purposely turned off the TV in the video room and I'm working on another project. Derek comes to the door in a towel and goes, Bianca, you're on TV. And I'm like, great. Thanks. Don't <laughs> so it goes back into the clubhouse, starts watching it a little bit more, comes back in, goes, are you sure you don't want to watch this? And all I'm thinking was, Derek, can you at least put some pants on first? <laughs> I'm like not thinking about this feature at all. So finally he convinces me to go in go to the clubhouse, watch it with him and some of the other players. And I'm just standing there just awkwardly like, <laughs> I, I don't want to watch this at all. And then I finally, that finally finishes up. I go back to the video room and for the rest of the day, every time he walks past the door, he would go, 
there's the face of the Reds. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. Thank you. But um, no, those are two that like I, as embarrassing as the last one was, at the same time, it just showed how much like the players just accepted me there. Like they mm. didn't care at all. They thought it was really cool. They embraced it. I ended up, you know, talking with most of the players who were on the Reds. Uh, Nick Senzel even asked me like the last day if I was going to be traveling with them. Unfortunately, I'd taken another job, but just that's what I meant by like the players. They just don't care. And it makes a huge difference as a coach. That is so awesome and so heartwarming and so cool to hear. I wish that I had Joey Votto come up to me and ask me to say hi to him. <laughs> that is so awesome. Um, so that's really great to hear. Um, our second question is, who do you think is going to win the 2023 World Series? I'm not affiliated <laughs> with the team anymore, so I can't. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> it's not the Reds. I mean, uh, that and. Uh. <laughs> As far as actual skill, I'm going to be honest. I have no idea. I have not been paying attention to major league teams for a while just because I've been paying attention to the minor league system. Mm -hmm. As far as just being a fan, that's hard too because as much as I would love to say the Yankees, I just left the Red Sox. So obviously, (laughs) I've got connections there and I've been with the Reds and I grew up a Pirates fan. I'm like, and I've got friends with every team. So as long as it's a good World Series, I don't really care. (laughs) I love that answer because I think it's always fun because if we had, I figured that. Like we had a Mets talk show host on recently and he was like the Mets, hundred percent, the Mets. And then sort of hearing like the very biased opinions versus the very unbiased opinions is always a good fun balance to hear. Um, we do have the third and final question for you. We sort of, as appreciation for you hopping on with us, we sort of let our guests dictate the sort of direction that the show is going to go in. And maybe it's someone that you know, or you think you could put us in contact with, but if you got to nominate the next guest for a future side retired episode, could be someone you've met along the way on your journey that's influenced you or anything in between sort of who would you like to shout out and say I think this would be a good person to have on an interview Ooh, that's hard because there's been a lot <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Darren Fenster <laughs> all right yeah I, either so it'd be either him or Tyrone Brooks both of them have been really influential in my career uh and I know both are just great speakers because I've heard them speak. But yeah, one of one of the two would be awesome to have on. Absolutely. All right, Maddie, we're going to get on that now. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Bianca. We really appreciate all the time, all the insights, and definitely getting an inside perspective as to what it's like being inside a big league clubhouse. Because I know both Maddie and I would like to be there one day in the future. So seeing, sort of hearing your experiences is definitely an amazing experience for us. Yes, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us and answering all of our questions, you know, being so open and honest about your experiences, Um, you know, being a woman in baseball, being a trailblazer and kind of your, um, your story of getting into coaching. We are so excited to see what the future holds for you. We will definitely be keeping tabs on you throughout 2023 to see where the new path leads. And we are so happy and so grateful that you are here today. Well, thanks again for inviting me. Absolutely. Thanks so much. So until the next time for Dylan and Maddie, the side is retired.